Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. I'm the best there is at what I do, and what I do best isn't very nice. Jim, thanks to no demand at all, we are here to talk about James Logan Patch Weapon X Howlet, <laughs> also known as the Wolverine. Excellent! That was an X-Man <laughs> joke. <laughs> so that opening line is, is Wolverine's catchphrase, so to speak, if he has one. Something he repeats every once in a while when he's introducing himself to a bad guy that he's about to slice up. Wolverine, as we said in our Origins episode, Wolverine is actually one of my favorite characters. I've always very closely related myself to Wolverine, or felt very close to Wolverine, mostly being a short guy with anger issues. What about you, Jim? Do you, do you have any kind of background with Wolverine? Any connection with the character? Like most comic book characters, my knowledge of Wolverine comes mostly from animation, when I was a kid, the X-Men animated series was popular, so I remember Wolverine as a character in that. I was also a big fan of Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends, which was a Spider-Man-X-Men crossover, which Wolverine occasionally appeared in that. And then I also watched X-Men Evolution, the other animated series, and then obviously all of the live-action movies that have come out in the last 20 years or so. But... Even before that, again, mainly for me, he was a comic book character or an animated character. I've always liked Wolverine. In the X-Men universe, I've always found him to be one of the more interesting characters. Like we've talked about before in a lot of things, not just superhero stuff, but the whole, the good guys and the bad guys, the heroes and the villains. One of the problems that comes up a lot is the bad guys are inherently more interesting than the good guys. A lot of times the good guys are just a little bit too nice, a little bit too idealistic, always doing the right thing. And the bad guys, which again, like in a lot of things, superhero and otherwise, they don't see themselves as bad or evil. They just have a different perspective, but they're usually more relatable because they have more of like a personality and they react to things emotionally, usually with anger, but they're usually more relatable and more interesting than just the good guys go be good because that's what good guys do type of stuff. And a lot of the X-Men were kind of like that to me and Wolverine would stand out as sort of like a bad good guy. Sometimes he's referred to as an anti-hero, but I don't really view him as that. But he's definitely, one of these things is not like the other. He stands out from the other X-Men. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And there are, there's a lot of stories where he is just flat out hero, but there's other stories where he is anti-hero. And there's actually stories that he's kind of the bad guy. I grew up with, or at least I started with Wolverine. He, he was really popular in the 80s when I grew up in comic books. So Wolverine comics were some of the first ones that I started reading. So I became familiar with that character, one of the first characters I, I liked. And then the animated series came out and uh, started in 92, so I was 10 years old, and I loved it. 
that was my rush home from school, make sure I catch X-Men every time it's on, even the reruns, because I just loved watching it so much. I liked how they portrayed the character, but I always had a issue with the voice acting in it, because it sounded like a guy was just trying way too hard. He's like, hey, bub, I'm gruff. And that, that's, I don't know, it rubbed me the wrong way. And, and to me, Wolverine's voice should have been a lot more gravelly rather than just forced low. That makes sense? Yeah, having that's one of the other things. His vocals or the, the voice acting was one of the other things that made him stand out. Like if you weren't watching the TV screen, you knew when Wolverine was talking. Right. As opposed to a lot of the other characters, it was this sort of generic voice. So yeah, I, whether it didn't really rub me the wrong way, but it was like it was distinctive, which always made it easy for me to identify him. And he always seemed to me to be very different than the other X-Men. I don't know if I would say he was my favorite character in the X-Men universe, but he was definitely one of the most interesting. He was my favorite, maybe for different reasons than for most people. But for me, and what he meant to me, I guess when I was growing up, I always had anger issues. I mean, obviously, I was a short guy, too. I still am a short guy, and I still kind of battle those anger issues. But when I was a kid, I struggled very much trying to control those anger issues. I had no idea what to do about it when I got angry. I had no idea how to control it. And it just felt like I always had like just something buried inside that was trying to claw its way out. Every time I start to get angry, I could just feel it building up and, and about ready to burst. And then I read Wolverine comics and I see Wolverine on the, on the screen and I see a short guy with anger issues that's trying so hard to keep the animal contained and, and stay a man. And I was like, oh, that's, that's, if I had superpowers, that'd be me. And that's, and going into even, even today, if the question comes up, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Immediately, I'd go to healing. That was one of the other things that made Wolverine interesting to me. I liked the X-Men, but sometimes I just found the show, and again, the characters to be a generic personification of a superpower. And there wasn't really much interesting to the character other than that. Again, I didn't read the comics, so I'm basing most of this on animation and what has been largely underwhelming live-action film adaptations. But one of the things that we've talked about before in like other medium is the in just regular even this regular like action movie type stuff. No one seems to ever get hurt. Like like people don't get injured. They go get like shot or stabbed or beat up, and they never seem to. Oh, they're fine in the next scene or the next episode or something like that. And a lot of superhero stuff, like everyone is like has like super strength by as generic, so that they can be in these great big fights and never really seem to get hurt. Wolverine, because he has healing, his fights were like a little bit more realistic to me because he could get hurt. He could get really messed up and you could see him get like hit with other people's superpowers and be affected by it. But like, yeah, that should really mess him up. Oh, but he has healing. So it made him a little bit more like approachable and realistic and the other thing too is his superpower in addition to healing i mean his claws are not a superpower they're an extension of his exoskeleton but for him to fight it was a brawl hand-to-hand combat not a stand at a distance and blast someone with some superpower so it was a more like realistic fight fight 
which made it more interesting to me than, I don't know, not to pick on him, but Cyclops standing 100 yards away blasting people with laser beams. Yeah, Wolverine was bringing knives to a gunfight. Exactly. But it was interesting. It, that's what yeah. it made him, a lot of, again, a lot of the other characters were like a personification of a superpower. Yeah, it's interesting to, to dive into telepathy and telekinesis and teleportation and that type of stuff. But he was just fighting, fighting. And that just made it a little bit more, as weird as it is to say, in a superhero setting, a little bit more of a realistic fight yeah. or more real, relatable fight. So I like that aspect of his character because it made, you know, he got really hurt at times. And they also could throw him into things where, hey, if someone else tried to do that, they would be killed. <laughs> So let Wolverine try to do it, because he might almost die, but he will recover. Well, and there's a lot of times where he'll put that himself in that situation, kind of so nobody else has to. And, and that goes into, actually, one of my favorite Wolverine-centered run was when Wolverine took over as the new X-Force leader. And the, the X-Force became basically the mercenary group for the X-Men. So Cyclops was, reading, was uh, leading the X-Men. When there was a threat that he knew had to be dealt with fatally, he knew the X-Men couldn't do it, he would send Wolverine with his X-Force team to go take care of it. And Wolverine agreed to it so that nobody else had to get their hands dirty. He knew that he could take those scars. He could take the not only the physical damage, but the mental damage, because he'd been doing it for 200 years almost. And he knew what those scars what that damage would do to a 16-year-old, 19-year-old that's still at the school having to go do it. So he would take that damage so nobody else would have to. And I think that, that to me, makes it interesting more character. And I think what you were saying is, is really why Wolverine became so popular. Because they were able to dive into what happens when you have somebody that basically can't die, that's lived through a hundred and some years of torture, just nonstop, both physical and psychological torture. What happens to that person? What does he become? And there's been a lot of stories that that dive into it. And I'm I'm not going to sit here and claim to be I'm a super expert on Wolverine either. I haven't read all of the books. I haven't read all of the stories. I know of most of them, but I can't just regurgitate every story that I've read or that I've heard about. So as we're talking about it, it's going to be just off of what I know of the character and what you know of the character. I don't know what what kind of, did you do any kind of research or anything on this? Not really. I mean, I looked some stuff up on the internet. The only thing I had I had watched was the Wolverine and the X Men animated series because it was the only one I hadn't seen, which I enjoyed. It's one season, twenty six episodes. It's an interesting thing which we can come back to later because it Wolverine takes a different role as sort of the de facto leader of the X-Men and, and Professor X's absence, so we can get into that later. So it's a little bit of a different take. But one of, one of the things that's interesting, too, about the, some of the other animated series we've mentioned, we've seen, like, X-Men Evolution, you know, showed us the X-Men as, like, teenagers. But the two characters mm -hmm. that basically don't, like, we don't see younger versions of much is Professor X and Logan. So even in, like, the more kid-oriented animated series you always had him as the sort of adult always an adult and also the more serious and more brutal character even if he was the other characters were there to appeal to 
a younger audience, you always had that consistency of Wolverine of being that same type of character. We can get into a little bit of his his memory loss issue later, which leads us off into other types of stories related to him. But when he's involved with the X-Men, it's pretty much him not dealing with younger or older or slightly different versions of the characters, which we see with some of the others. Right. Yeah, and this character, he's gone through so many different changes and iterations, and we're not even going to bring up the time when he didn't have a nose. <laughs> we're not going to talk about that version. The other the other <laughs> aspect of his powers, which, again, were a little bit more realistic or more relatable, was, like, his extrasensory abilities that he used for, like, his tracking mm-hmm. made it, like, more tangible and realistic than, like, Professor X using Cerebro or... Gene Gray using telepathy, like finding, figuring something out with like a superpower versus not like detective work. I'm not trying to compare him to Batman. That's not where I'm going, but he's a little bit more real world ish type of thing. Like not just figure something out with telepathy is like, I'll try to track someone through the woods and figure out who was here based on send some picking up and stuff like that. It was a little bit more, again, realistic. It's about the only thing I could come up with of, a more relatable superpower than yeah. telepathy. So it's interesting you bring up Batman on that, actually. So when they did the series, the DC versus Marvel series, Batman fought Wolverine. And then after the verses, they blended the, the, the worlds and the two became one called Batclaw. So yeah, I don't know if you knew that or not. I, I did not know that. Yeah, so it was interesting that you, you chose Batman to say there. The only reason that, I mean, again, it's not at all like Batman because Batman has no superpowers at all. So that's why Batman right. in, in DC is is more, he's not the only one, one of many characters in, in DC space that don't have powers. But in the X-Men, in the mutant verse, for lack of a better term, almost everybody has superpowers. Right. So there's not a lot of people who are very relatable as just a regular old person. And Wolverine is among the closest to that or the most approachable to that yeah well i think other things that made him a lot more relatable too or made people like him is he had more of a range of emotions like he was angry a lot he was he was kind of seemed down a lot and everything he's there's a lot of aspects to him having an actual full spectrum personality that a lot of other characters didn't have especially the angry brooding part yeah the angry brooding part and again like you said he had more depth to his personality more more inner demons and stuff like that. Again, I don't mean to pick on him because he does have other stories, but like, I never really liked Cyclops. He's kind of like the Boy Scout of the X-Men. He's like too goody-goody. And the only time he really gets gritty is if he's in some type of romantic thing relating to Jean Grey. Other than that, he's like just too generically good. Yeah, there's, I mean, this isn't an episode on Cyclops, but there's, a lot of people have that have that image of him, especially from the, the cartoons. Yeah. But when you actually get into the books, it's he restrains himself with that because he knows he's got the weight of leadership on him. So he, he knows he can't be emotional because that will affect his leadership abilities and stuff. And and later down the down the line he gets a little more emotional and, and starts crossing some lines. Too he also had to keep his power under control and not let that go. So yeah, not to draw off draw off drift off on a tangent, but I was just bringing him up again. I know since I'm coming to the characters through animation, I'm not seeing most of the characters that I know in the X-Men universe. I have a very, very 
limited insights into the characters. In, in some instances, I've seen really one example of what they may have been like in the comic books based on those cartoons slash animation series, which again, a lot of those were geared to uh, a younger audience. So I'm not really yeah. getting the full appreciation of some of those characters, which is why, again, and maybe it's, I don't know, that's why Wolverine, again, I'm not saying he was my favorite X-Man, but he always stood out to me as this is someone who's very different than most of the other characters on the show that weren't the bad guys. Again, of the quote-unquote good guys in the X-Men universe, he stood out as being unique. Yeah, Kind of interesting, actually. We almost got, got him as the Badger instead of the Wolverine. I don't know if you ever knew that part either, but when they first came up with him, he actually even had whiskers at first. Do you know what his first appearance was? I do not. I know very, again, I know very little about the character. Yeah, everybody knows him as the X-Man. But he actually started off, his first appearance was in Incredible Hulk. As kind of the last page was showed him of, of issue, Incredible Hulk number 180 in 1974. The last page when he was fighting Wendigo, Wolverine was kind of shown jumping out at him from behind. And then issue 181 was his first full appearance where they fought each other. And then both ended up fighting when to go together. Yeah, that, that was the first appearance of the Wolverine, who was almost the Badger. And uh, I know originally his claws were actually just in his gloves, and he would just put them on. And then it wasn't until later that they found out, oh, the, sc- the claws are actually in his arms. So then everybody thought they must have been added when he got the Animanium. And then it wasn't until Origins came out that showed that, oh, he had bone claws. He's gone through a ride. Uh, a few different iterations, some changes to his backstory. And I know most people around our age know Wolverine from the animated series, but then there's a whole new generation that know him from Hugh Jackman playing him in the movies, which to a lot of people is the only good thing about those movies. What did you think of Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine? Yeah, by and large, there's not much positive things to say about the the X-Men live-action movies that have been... There have been a few that have been okay, but for the most part, they've been very disappointing. He's been interesting. I mean, to, as far as I know, he's the only person who's played Wolverine in live action, at least in movies. Am, am I incorrect on that, or has anybody else actually played him? Um, I think he's the only one. So it makes it easier to, because it's just Hugh Jackman, so in every X-Men thing, when there's Wolverine, there's there, some, the other characters have been played by other actors. And then going, I guess, back to what I had said earlier... You know what you're going to get. Again, he's different than the other X-Men and whether or not it was he was. I can't really comment on whether or not I think Hugh Jackman did well. He was good enough. He's probably too tall is about the only thing I could say I didn't like about him when he was first cast. But other than that, I thought he did a, a pretty good job playing Wolverine across. I mean, he was, I don't know, maybe more than 10 movies or something. There's been a lot of movies that he's been Wolverine as. Yeah, I don't. I don't count. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they haven't all been good, and they've and they have been, and it's it's probably not. It's also one of those weird things of sometimes I wonder. We got a couple of also standalone Wolverine movies, and sometimes I couldn't help but wonder: Did we get them because the character is popular, or do we get them because a big actor like Hugh Jackman was playing the character? A little from column A, a little from column B. Probably, because I, I don't know yeah. if we would have... I mean, because obviously there have been other big-name actors like Halle Berry, who played Storm in one of the early X-Men movies. We don't run. talk about that. Yeah. 
But most of the other actors, other than obviously Professor X and Magneto, the other characters don't really get played by big name actors, or at least they weren't well known at the time that they were in them. So that might be why we got some of the other Wolverine movies. They were, other than Logan, which is sort of like a standalone, like alternate universe movie, most of the standalone ones weren't great. Well, there was only two other standalone movies. That's true. That's, yeah. <laughs> and the first, one, the first one was supposed to be a series. So the first one was X-Men Origins Wolverine. And there was supposed to be a whole series of those uh, Origins movies of different characters. But that one sucked. So they were like, oh crap, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we should just try again on another standalone Wolverine movie and see if we can get that right. So then they made The Wolverine, which was worse, arguably. Yes. But then Logan... Like, you know what? Maybe we should just do the character justice and go full rated R. Man, Logan was fantastic. Yes, Logan was a fantastic movie. I was really torn on Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Like, he got the attitude right. He at least somewhat had the look right. Although, at first, he was a bit thin. And obviously way too tall. Because how tall is Hugh Jackman? Like, 6'2 or something like that? Yeah, way too tall to play the character. Yeah. And the character's 5'3". You know, his nickname is Runt through a lot, from a lot of people. So that really threw me off. So I'm like, I'm not seeing the character that I loved on the screen. I'm seeing a different version. Kind of like Thor. I'm seeing a different version of Thor on screen that's related but not the same. Not really what I want to see. And so I, I've been really torn on Hugh Jackman. Logan, he did a, such a good job in that I'm kind of willing to forgive the other ones. I, I really think he was cast because he could do the hair and he could do the voice and he could do the guttural growl. And I think that's about it. Because he wasn't a big name when he got cast. That's true, yeah. Earlier when I said, was it the actor or the character that was more popular? That's also true, yeah. At the time that he was first cast as Wolverine, he was not a, a, a well-known actor. People were like, the guy from Oklahoma? What? Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, my earlier comment was a bit off. I mean... There, one, well, he was a big name by the time they made the standalones. Yeah, by then he had been a lot of other things and he had, he had become a much bigger name actor. So, yeah, I think yeah. facially he had it done, like you said, maybe with the hair and stuff like that, and he got the attitude okay. The rest of the physicality was probably not quite right, his size and his height. But he did a good enough job of getting some of the mannerisms and some of the personality traits and stuff like that. Of the other movies, non-standalone, I mean, that were good. It wasn't his fault or that character's fault. So, Right. So yeah, I think yeah. I think Hugh Jackman did uh, a good enough job with playing Wolverine. And uh, I know at this point he has said that he would like to see Tom Hardy take on the role from here on. I can't really think of anybody better at this point. I don't know. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, that probably wouldn't be that would probably be a good a good fit. Tom Hardy probably has the rights portray the the personality, and they can do the the hair and stuff with. And he's got the build. He's got the builds, and he's got the he can channel the the anger issues and the antisocial issues. So yeah, I think that probably would be a decent thing. Although at this point, again, it's like it depends on the story, I guess. I mean, since they did do two standalone movies, they did try to at least give us some. I mean, Wolverine has a 
And this goes back to, I'm sure this is true of a lot of the comic book characters. I'm just not as familiar with the X-Men comics. They've at least tried to do some more Wolverine stories. Those two standalone movies were not particularly well done. But the, one of the things that I think is intriguing about Wolverine is it's not just a matter of, oh, a different interpretation or a different story. His The, the character himself lends himself to almost a curiosity into his backstory because how old is he? The character is fairly old, right? How, how old is Wolverine? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was something in the like 1880s he was born. Yeah. So he's pretty old. And I mean, when we meet him, he's had memory uh, issues that has caused him to forget most of his life. Oh, <laughs> 1832. Wow. 1832. So there are a lot of like other like characters like, oh, let's see it in alternate version. And a lot of comic book characters have a lot of various alternate uh, origin stories and storylines. You can do an awful lot with just Wolverine as is because yeah. of that, how old the character is and all of the different stories, which is also part of what is interesting about the character is because Wolverine is frustrated by his own memory loss. And, you know, yeah. Charles, uh, Professor X has tried to help him and has explained it in various times that, well, the memories are in your head, but the connections between them have been permanently lost. So it's all a jumble. So there's a yeah. lot that we don't know about Wolverine, but there's also a lot that Wolverine doesn't know about himself. So some of the more interesting stories, both in animation and other things, where he just gets surprised that somebody knows him and somebody's really upset with him about something he did in his past. And he's like, I have no idea why you're mad at me. <laughs> yeah. So well, that goes into a big question, though, that of a lot of people have argued about is, is it better to have his mystery be or have his past be a mystery or do is it better to know and understand his history? I think it, a little bit of both, because the fact that he has a broken memory he has a hard time trusting his own memory and his own recollection of things. So I think one of the reasons why he has a hard time like trusting other people and, and working with other people is because he has a hard time trusting himself because yeah. he doesn't know his own history. And I think that does lend some nice texture to it, but I don't think you need like a full explain all of his history like, the Weapon X history is important to understand where he got the adamantium claws from. That's a, an, an, I guess you could argue, an important story, and that does bring in some things that are interesting. There's also some things, since he is so old, I mean, I remember in one of the animated series, they showed him, you know, in World War II, fighting with Captain America, yep. and rescuing Magneto from a concentration camp, because... Um, Magneto is Jewish and he was in a concentration camp in World War II. So that was an interesting insight into some of his like World War II experiences. I don't know if we need to go all the way back to 1832, but the fact that if you wanted to, you could go back in time and tell some interesting stories. The one thing that's a little bit weird, though, is it wouldn't be the Wolverine we knew because he doesn't know in the present time. He doesn't know anything about that. So he could be completely right. different than what we know of him now. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. 
Yeah, I think not knowing his past was interesting, but it brought up a lot of questions. And there's, like you said, there's so many good stories that could be there. So actually, I really like the origin story that describes his past and what happened, uh, which basically was he was a small child. He was he was very sick all the time and he was fragile. He came from a wealthy family in Canada. Basically, they hired a woman or a girl that's a little bit older than him, but, but about the same age, Rose, to kind of help be friends with him and kind of help care for him and stuff. And then their kind of handyman groundskeeper guy had a, had a son named Dog, uh, Dog Logan. And his dad was, you know, beat him and was very mean to him and stuff. And it kind of, you eventually find out that Wolverine's mom had had an affair with that man and that he was actually a half-brother to Dog Logan. And they had kind of similar powers almost and similar personalities. Well, at, at one point, Dog was trying to uh, assault Rose. And he went and, and told his dad, ended up kind of... I, I'm very much summarizing here. I'm skipping a bunch of parts. But his dad basically fired Dog's dad. Dog's dad went with a shotgun and killed Wolverine's father and was going after his mother. And that's when his bone claws first appeared and he stabbed him in the chest and killed him. And then ran away with Rose and then his mom killed herself after realizing what had happened. And basically he went on the run with Rose. He went to another part of Canada, started working in a mining town. And kind of one of the things that they explore here is that his healing factor also includes his mind. So he started to forget those traumatizing experiences because his mind started healing over it to protect him from it. So not all of his memory loss is due to like the Weapon X program and stuff erasing his memory. But it's also part of his, his healing factor blocking some of those memories. Oh, I was not aware of that. That's interesting. Yeah. And then eventually Dog ends up kind of coming after him uh, in a big fight. He accidentally kills Rose. He runs off into the wilderness and basically just starts living with a pack of wolves for years and years and years. And then eventually kind of gets reintegrated back to humanity, ends up joining mili- uh, the Canadian military, ends up you know fighting World War One, then goes off to Japan, does some training and stuff, comes back, ends up fighting in World War Two, then ends up joining a superhero group uh, with uh, Canada, becomes Alpha Flight, and then he joins the Weapon X program, and that's where he becomes the Wolverine we know and love today. And it's the Weapon X program that basically experimented on him to give him adamantium by fusing it to his uh, yeah. skeleton. Basically, he, the only reason he was able to survive the operation was because of his healing. Correct. And, yeah, and Weapon X is actually Weapon 10, where they were trying to recreate or expand upon the Super Soldier Serum. So Captain America was actually Weapon 1, and Wolverine was Weapon 10. Oh, okay. And so when you get to X-23, she used the 23rd version. Oh, okay. That's okay. I did not know all of that. Um, yep. Oh, that's interesting to know. Yeah, so there, there's there's so many stories there. And that's why I say it's it's hard to follow all of that. Um, so in in part of that, too, like through one of the stories, he ends up like that when he was first getting reintegrated back into society, it was actually a creed. It was soul creed. That was reintegrating him. 
And then he ended up uh, killing that guy in a fight. And later in the Weapon X program, or towards a little bit later when he meets Victor Creed, who is Sabretooth, he doesn't realize that Victor Creed's his brother. Uh, was the brother of the guy that he killed. And so that kind of established part of the Sabretooth relationship there, where it kind of starts off where Sabretooth killed Silver Fox, who was, you know, basically Wolverine's first real love, kills uh, Silver Fox on his birthday, and then starts a trend where every year on his birthday, Sabretooth attacks Wolverine. Interesting other note, Sabretooth was actually introduced in the Marvel Universe before Wolverine. He was actually first introduced in Iron Fist, number 14, in 1977. And a lot of times in the animated stuff that I've seen, he's shown as sort of like Wolverine's primary enemy. Yeah. He has, other than obviously he doesn't have adamantium or retractable claws, but he has similar powers. He's strong. He has, yeah, all the same powers. Instead of retractable claws, he has sharp fingernails that are claws, basically. And they kind of touch on it in the movie where he was supposed to also get the the animanium, but Wolverine destroyed everything, so he couldn't. And they were part, like, when they joined the program, both of their memories were erased, so they didn't remember each other and their their history. So they became friends and worked together a lot. And then later, when Sabretooth got his memory back before Wolverine did, that's when he started attacking him every year on his birthday, and Wolverine never understood why. He just knew it was going to happen. Also, I feel like I should mention, I hate this part of it, but there's Romulus. Do, have you ever heard of Romulus? That made me think of Star Trek, so no. <laughs> so basically, Romulus is like almost like the, the god of characters like Wolverine. And he is behind the scenes pulling the strings and basically made everything happen to create Wolverine the way he created Wolverine. And also the same with Sabretooth and Dakin or Dakin, however you pronounce Wolverine's son. He took him under his wing and trained him up in order to kill his father. And there's a big storyline that says that like basically throughout history, there's always been two, one that was blonde, one that was uh, dark hair and they were always fighting each other. And eventually one would kill the other one. And, uh, it it just it becomes a little more too convoluted even for comic books. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's kind of Wolverine's origin and memory loss. I mean, he eventually gets some memories back, but he can never he can never really tell if it's an actual memory or an implanted memory. That's another issue with the trust. Like you were saying, he he doesn't even really trust his own memories. That's part of it too. He doesn't know if it's a real memory, a fake memory. Or if he's remembering the whole thing or only bits and pieces of it, he's never really totally sure. Yeah, it's always been an interesting aspect of it, again, to help maybe for me explain why he's kind of, his personality is the way that he is. Because it's like he's not, he's not able to, he's not in full command. I mean, he's not, he's not mentally challenged or deficient or anything like that. I mean, he's a whole enough person to function. It's just... The idea of of him playing with the ideas of memories make up who a person is and what happens if you can't remember everything about you uh, and whether yeah. or not how much of that is really important to anyone's life story at any particular point in time. And is it a, a better thing, not just from a storytelling perspective and whether it would be better to be kept a, mes- a mystery is, is Logan is is Wolverine better off not remembering some of that history? 
and focusing on the stuff that he does remember X-Men forward and other stuff like that as opposed to all of the things, some of the things that you just mentioned might be things he probably might not want to know or remember. Yeah. Well, another thing that makes it him interesting is the more he's around like civilization and, and people, he kind of loses his edge. And so every once in a while, he has, basically he just gets pummeled by an enemy that he normally would win against, like somebody like Sabretooth, where they'll be like, oh, you've gone soft and just wipe the floor with him. And he's got to get back into into touch with his animalistic roots. And that that's an ongoing struggle with Wolverine is, is he a man or is he an animal? Because he can't be both. And so he's always trying to prove and, and be more like a man but if he doesn't embrace his animalistic side, then he's he's becomes weak and loses his edge. And then sometimes he goes a little bit too far animalistic and he's got to go back to Japan and relearn discipline. It's just an interesting constant arc of where he's at and where he's going. You know, is he is he going to be brutal berserker Wolverine or is he going to be highly disciplined samurai Wolverine? That, I think, is what the movies missed. Yeah, about to say. I mean, I mean the the Wolverine movie was just terrible. But yeah, that that aspect of the the samurai Wolverine and the disciplined Wolverine, yeah, isn't really emphasized very well in the live action stuff at all. Yeah, and they so could have because Silver Samurai is actually a really interesting character, and they just butchered that character in the movie. Yeah, and there there was constantly. I know when I was reading the books in the eighties and into the nineties. There was constantly the conversation and the understanding that Sabretooth was actually Wolverine's brother or his father. And then we later along find out that neither. He's just another dude with similar powers. Are there anything in that long list of sort of history and stories and stuff like that? Is there anything you think would make for... I mean, this happens a lot with the same... Making more movies about the same superhero. Do we need new stories? Uh, about him is is Wolverine more interesting when he's with the X-Men or would you rather see some of these like standalone stories um I want both there are a lot of good standalone stories that were that are there and available they just have to quit trying to Hollywoodize them you know what I mean so like Bill Wolverine when he you know with the Silver Samurai there there was the makings for a really good movie there, but then they had to go into like a big suit of armor, like Iron Man armor, instead of the actual character of Silver Samurai, which would have been way more interesting. And I just don't understand why they always have to do that. And, and even the, the first one, again, there was the makings for a really good movie there, but they just couldn't quite settle on a tone for the movie or they, they just rushed it, I think. And that's that's an ongoing issue for most of the non-MCU movies is they're just rushing them and there's not enough thought there. They don't have enough time to work it out and actually make it good. They're just trying to crank them out to capitalize. But I think there's also a lot of, a lot of openings for him as part of a team to, as well to really utilize him as, you know, as a tracker or maybe somebody that's going undercover, maybe, you know, bring in Madripoor and have him go in as Patch and actually find stuff out and have him more as an informant than a fighter. That that could be an interesting route as well, at least a way of bringing him into another version or bring him into the MCU that way, maybe. Maybe he starts working with Black Widow, which 
I guess I didn't mention that part. He actually trained Black Widow when she, when she was a kid. When he one of his assassinations missions was to actually kill her father, and he gets in good with them. He actually trains Black Widow. She actually calls him Little Uncle, and then he kills the father, and then she hates him. <laughs> but then later, uh, on another mission with Captain America, uh, he ends up having to save her again. Realizing that it was her that they were saving is why he joined that mission. So there, there's a lot of... He's he's tied to a lot of characters. A lot of people have been... It's it, it At times there's been difficulties because of who owns the rights to them. But yeah. people have been hoping to get the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the X-Men Universe, for lack of a better term, to converge or to intersect at least because they have yeah. in, in other media. It would have been difficult because they only made one Captain America origin movie and then they put him on ice until the uh, present day. But a Captain America movie might have been one of the places where you could have introduced Wolverine uh, with the World War II stuff because there are some interesting Captain America and Wolverine stories and maybe even blend that into the whole Weapon X program, which was saying Cap being X1 and Wolverine being X10 and then X-23, so maybe that might have been a way to to introduce it. Because I think that would be... I don't know. Cap and... I mean, maybe not just because it's Chris Evans and Hugh Jackman, but a Captain America Wolverine movie would be, would be fun. Well, and on the other hand, there's also a way of doing a, just a Wolverine movie back then with, oh, he's going to go on this mission and here's a, here's Captain America all of a sudden shows up for that mission. Or, or he runs into Captain America on that mission. and But... In that time frame, he actually didn't even remember that he had powers. And so he was actually fighting those wars as just a man. So he didn't realize he had the claws. He didn't realize he had the healing abilities or anything. He just knew that he was... People recognized that he seemed a little bit quicker and tougher than most other men. And that's why he got into a lot of these special projects. Ah, okay. So there's interesting stories there, but you're not really getting the Wolverine that most people know. And I know there's been a lot of push, probably mainly from Ryan Reynolds, to do a Deadpool Wolverine movie. Yeah. Deadpool actually got his powers from Wolverine. That's how he got his healing. Basically, they took Wolverine's blood. And again, it was part of the Weapon X program that Deadpool was in. I mean, everybody, I think, knows the story. He had cancer, and the healing factor keeps the cancer at bay, but the cancer kind of keeps him from being stable. And that's part of his sanity issues. Right. I mean, they showed a version of Deadpool in the X-Men Origins Wolverine we, movie. No, no, no. We don't know. That's no. That doesn't exist? No. Nope. <laughs> that's a completely different character, and we don't talk about that one either. <laughs> that's Wade Wilson or whatever his character, whatever his name is. Yeah, Wade Wilson. But that's that's a different Wade Wilson. That's, yeah, we don't know. Nope. <laughs> Oh, that one hurt. And I don't even really know if it would... I don't even know if I would actually want to see a Wolverine Deadpool movie. Because, again, Deadpool's another character that is very different than other characters in the X-Men universe. And his movies, as they are, are good enough. I don't really think I need to see a team-up movie between those two. I do, but in the form of X-Force. Because he was actually... Deadpool was on Wolverine's X-Force team. And that actually goes into another big story, too, where... So I guess one of the things that makes Wolverine interesting, too, is 
he's very gruff and he's very angry and, and everything, but he also has feelings. So, for instance, there there's a story in the X-Men uh, or X-Force series where, so basically Deadpool is a mercenary and he's being paid by Angel because Angel's rich to work for X-Force. And one of the missions they go on involved killing a kid and Deadpool refused to do it. And basically when they came back, Wolverine was yelling at him about doing his job and he's like, that's what we pay for and you only work for money anyway. You don't have any real feelings. And then Deadpool quits. You know, he's like, basically he's like, fuck you, Wolverine, and, and quits and leaves. And then Wolverine goes and bitches about it to Angel and Angel's like, oh yeah, actually Deadpool never cashed any of the checks. I kept writing them, but he never cashed them. Basically he was working for free because he believed in the cause. And so Wolverine's like, ah, oh, shit. And felt shitty and had to track him down and, and apologize to him and stuff. So I, I think those make into some of the more interesting Wolverine storylines. Like there's another one where they have to do something that's so morally compromising that when he comes back to uh, Cyclops that sent him on the mission, he just hauls out as hard as he could, punches Cyclops in the stomach so hard it drops him and says, you ever have us do something like that again next time I'm using the claws. And just turns around and walks away. Um, he's He cares so much about the people that are close to him. Which brings into uh, a lot of... Especially, you know, like, you know the animated series. The relationship between him and Jubilee in that series. Which was based off of the relationship between him and Kitty Pride in the comic book series. And then in the movie, they did the same thing between him and Rogue. And this ongoing throughout every iteration... He ends up kind of as a mentor, teacher, father figure to usually a young girl that he's trying to, to, to bring up and teach how to deal with the world. And I think that that brings an interesting dynamic to a lot of things. No, it is interesting that, he, that him as a, like a mentor, uh, usually to like the X-Men who are having the hardest time with the X-Men, like in the movies and in some of the animation, like you said, they shifted that over to Rogue, which was an interesting character to do that with because in some ways could relate to the difficulty of fitting in. Uh, but it was done, like you said, with Jubilee and, and uh, Kitty Pride, Shadowcat in the comics. That idea that he's someone that people who are having a hard time with the mutant life and, and being a part of the X-Men team... I think one-on-one, -on -one, he makes a good mentor or can be potentially a good mentor mm -hmm. for those type of mutants. Well, and there's there's also a run in the books where he actually becomes basically the headmaster of the Jean Grey school. No, I don't remember the full. Jean Grey school for gifted youngsters or something like that, where they're not really quite ready to be trained for X-Men yet, where it's just a school school. And he tries to keep them fully protected from the X-Men even. So they don't get involved with that life until they're ready. And I think that that's an interesting version of him as well. While he's also in the X-Men and the X-Force and the Avengers. And whatever other team needs him. I mean, I just finished the Wolverine and the X-Men animated series. Which was one of the only ones that I hadn't actually watched. So he was His role in that was, was rather interesting. Because in the story of that series... Uh, Professor X is basically in a coma and the X-Men are in disarray 
And since Jean Grey is temporarily missing, Cyclops is out of it, so he's not really quite in the right headspace to lead. So it kind of <laughs> reluctantly falls to Wolverine to be the leader of the X-Men, mm-hmm. which is interesting because until watching that series, I was like, I don't know how that would really work. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't bad. Uh, it was an interesting, a new angle that I hadn't really looked at uh, him much. Because yeah, I don't really know anything about uh, X-Force and the other things that you've mentioned. And just seeing him as a, an instructor or a mentor with the X-Men is one thing. But being the essential leader of the X-Men was rather an interesting turn Yeah, because like you said, you just don't know if it's going to work. And what makes it interesting is a lot of times it doesn't really work. Yeah, and he gets frustrated both with himself and with other people because, yeah, his way of doing things is not the same, obviously, as um, Professor X's. And it's just he has a frustrating time uh, getting people to Which do what also, he wants to I do. guess, oh, man, I'm going to bring it back around. Batman, kind of the same thing. When, he, when he's part of a team, he's not good at communicating his plans. He expects people to just kind of do what they're supposed to do and gets frustrated when they're not willing to do what they need needs to be done and and goes off and kind of takes yeah. care of things on his own instead of delegating to the people on the team which is also one of the things that was explored a little bit in that series of like why rogue for example didn't want to accept him because it's like go you just take off before he was the leader it's like just in general you just take off whenever you want you're very unreliable as even a mentor because you're just like disappear for days at a time when no one even knows where you are so as the leader she's like how can i trust you to be the leader how do i know you're just not going to just take off on us so it's a different so like you said batman trying to be the field general of the bat family versus batman just being the solo vigilante there are some similarities there too uh with with wolverine in terms of him trying to take the lead and delegating to people and sending them into dangerous situations where he would rather just take on those challenges himself i don't know is there anything else you could think of about the character anything interesting or any questions or anything like that no i think we've covered most of what i had in mind like i said off the top i mean the thing that i think of him is he's a bad good guy you know he's he's different than the other uh good guys in the X-Men. He still is a good guy, but at times is more of a anti-hero. But again, much more relatable and seems more like a a flawed but more complete person than some of the other characters. And in some cases also more entertaining. I mean, when he gets angry and he also has a a um a twisted sense of humor. Uh, he resorts to violence, obviously, much more so than the other X-Men. So he's, he's a very distinctly different character than the rest of the X-Men. It makes him someone that's, that stands out easily and is why he's one of my favorite characters. Yeah, yeah I think uh, another interesting dynamic is, I mean, he does a lot of team-ups and stuff. And another really interesting one, uh, besides when he's around Deadpool, is when he's around Spider-Man. And... I, I know there hasn't been a whole lot of that in animated. Um, there's been a little bit of it in video games, but it's in the books. It's always hilarious because Spider-Man knows he can at least subdue, if not take Wolverine, but at the same time, he's scared of him. And so Spider-Man will sit there and just poke at him and poke at him 
And like, there's, there's times where like, you know, he'll be sitting there and he'll be like, why does it smell like wet dog? And he'll look over at Wolverine and he'll growl and he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, my my interactions with that from the animated series it was very brief, but in Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, which was an X-Men crossover, I don't even remember the full plot of it, but like Wolverine was pissed at Spider-Man for something and wanted to fight, and Spider-Man just wanted to yeah. crack jokes. So again, I think we had uh, talked about this in our very first episode, sort of di- the different approaches to confrontation. Spider-Man, Peter Parker's natural tendency to be snarky and... Wolverine's natural tendency to want to resolve things through violence. Uh, the, the juxtaposition of that uh, makes some of their interactions rather interesting. But yeah, Spider-Man probably could take him, but just like with anyone who goes up against Wolverine, if he gets you in close quarters combat, yeah. he could kill you easily. And with not only because he has the strength and the claws, but also because he has the, the rage to possibly go over the line. So you have to be very careful, not quite like the Hulk, but somewhat similar to that anger issue thing of that he could snap. So you have to be, you have to, like at a lot of the the X-Men shows, it shows a lot of times that Wolverine gets his ass handed to him a lot, but almost everyone is afraid of Wolverine because again, under the right circumstances, one-on-one, you will lose right, to Wolverine. So you have, so you might, most of the characters in the X-Men universe usually deal with them somewhat easily, but always cautiously. Right. cautiously. There's something that people don't realize is he's actually very, very well trained in martial arts and sword play. Like he was actually legit samurai trained. He is a very good fighter but he kind of lets that fighting go to the side and just becomes a tank. And that's why, he, like you said, he gets his ass handed to him a lot because he just he just takes it. He knows, yeah, I'm going to take about 100 bullets on my way to get to you. Once I get to you, I'm just going to brutalize you because that's what's going to work. And again, going back to what I was saying about if he lets the animal side, the berserker side, take over too much, he forgets a lot of that training. Sometimes he has to go back and reset and retrain. And remember, he doesn't have to take all those hits. And you bring up Hulk, and that's actually interesting when you know bring up why he was introduced in Hulk. Basically, the idea was, all right, Hulk is this big, massive, unstoppable person. What if we introduce somebody that's unbreakable? So unstoppable versus unbreakable, who's going to win? And when they did the Ultimate Universe, I always found it very interesting that at one point, Hulk actually ripped Wolverine in half and threw his legs up on a mountain and then left Wolverine there and and went back to his cave and just kind of waited there because he knew eventually Wolverine was going to get up to the top of the mountain to get his legs back and then come back down. And then he comes back, guy's like, well, hopefully that gave you enough time to cool off. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of interesting stories with Wolverine. I really wish the movies did a better job with them. I'm very excited for the idea of bringing the X-Men into the MCU. What I hope they do, I know they won't do it, but what I hope they do is they actually start the X-Men off standalone and then build up and then introduce the Avengers to the X-Men in Avengers versus X-Men. That whole series was great. I loved it. The way that it started 
was actually Captain America basically coming to, at this point, all the X-Men and mutants lived on an island. And Captain America came to talk to Cyclops and them, uh, and basically they're, they're kind of together on the beach while all the other X-Men are off to the side watching. And Captain America is asking Cyclops for help, and Cyclops is like, through all these decades of persecution and fighting, where have the Avengers been? Where were you when all this was happening? When, when we were decimated, when we were almost completely wiped off the earth, and now we're, we're sitting here on a small island, where have the Avengers been? And now you're going to come here and ask for help? Get off my island and blast Captain America into the ocean. And I just think cinematically that would be fantastic. I'm paraphrasing some of that. I don't have it memorized. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is one of those things where when we, we've seen in other situations that there's been a rush to to build up the team in movies. I mean, Avengers obviously was done much better than the X-Men was. Having a movie that combines both teams, especially if I mean, I don't know if there's much that they could do with what's already out there instead of not having to start over just try to use some of the same actors and the same characters and just have it happen but again i don't know if that goes into like intellectual property rights and all that crap if they can't do it that way but i mean it's even been interesting like even like we've talked about before like we have again it's a matter of who owned the rights to the characters wanda and pietro for example and the Avengers Ultra, which were introduced in Captain America and then Winter Soldier and then in Avengers Ultron. Obviously, in the comic books, they were mutants, not the... They weren't, though. <laughs> okay. There's a mutant version of uh, them. It's gone back them. and forth. And they originally thought to be mutants, okay. and then it was later found out that they weren't. They were made by the, uh, the High Evolutionary. They were genetically engineered. They weren't actually mutants. But... Uh, in a lot of storylines, they were thought of as being Magneto's kids, but it turned out later they weren't. Oh, okay. Because I don't know if that's a way to, if like WandaVision, the current live action series, is a way to, to get that, those universes. It could be somehow. because I don't know. Uh, the storyline that they are going off of, I believe it was part of that storyline, was when she basically said, no more mutants. And that's when almost all the mutants disappeared off the face of the earth. And then she later said more mutants and brought a bunch back. So maybe they go that route. I might be slightly off on that because uh, on which storyline it is, because I don't know that I actually read it. Yeah. Same here. So I don't know. And again, it's just like every, anytime we talk about superhero stuff, it's like, is that something that we even want to try to see in live action or would it just be better for animation to handle that? Just like you said before, like with um, the Silver Samurai, was it? I mean, it was done so poorly in live action. It's so much easier to do that, those and other characters, correctly without a lot of problems. It's so much easier to do that character the right way. Yeah, that too. But I mean, just again, just like we said before, it's like animation just makes things a lot easier. If you wanted to try to have minor cameos or a smoother storyline, again, or, or a series instead of a movie trying to do things piecemeal with, with movies or, or series of movies. I don't know. It just becomes rather complicated at a certain point. And I don't know. It's interesting, though, because you have certain characters like... Like, there were characters like Wolverine, who I would really like to see in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't necessarily want all of the X-Men 
It's kind of like I would like to be able to pick and choose. I would like to see at least a version of Wolverine in the Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe. I don't necessarily need to see all of the X-Men or all of the Brotherhood. I don't. We don't need to bring the whole... I mean, not that I don't like them, but we don't need to bring the whole Professor X, Magneto thing and everybody in. It's like, if we can maybe somehow pick and choose, but I don't know if that makes it worse or... Um, yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. I'm also but, thinking of it... I mean, when Wolverine is part of the Avengers, the best interactions are between him and Captain America, him and Iron Man, but also, I guess, him and Spider-Man or him and Hulk, but you're missing half of those at this point. Yeah, exactly. Like, that would be, like, an example of maybe, again, too much stuff has happened in the MCU, but, yeah, the Wolverine was in the new Avengers with, with Spider-Man, and that's those are two characters that I would like to see together. Like, as an example, again, I, I love Spider-Man. Wolverine's a great character. So, yeah, maybe there's something like that where it's, I don't know, an alternate universe thing or something. I don't know. Or maybe that's how they introduce him. Maybe they just bring him into a Spider-Man movie. Yeah, because I, like I said, that's something you could do now. It will be easier because we have a Captain America problem with where they're at in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But yeah, they could bring him into a Spider-Man movie. We also have absolutely no idea what the heck's going on with Doctor Strange. The, the multiverse thing could open up opportunities there. We actually don't yeah. know at the point at the time of this recording. We don't really know where WandaVision is going. It could be going somewhere where it does lead or opens a door to let some mutants come on the scene. Who knows? Right. But trying to just like we said before, it's like trying to rush to the big team up movie is complicated. But trying to put the two teams together. We don't necessarily need to, like, I don't want them to have to go back and let's redo everybody's origin story. Let's redo a whole Captain America origin story and redo another Spider-Man and redo another Wolverine so that we can eventually put them all in a movie together. Just put them in a fucking movie together. (laughs) We don't need to start over again. Yeah, it's tough on that because if you don't do the background stories, then people that are new to the characters don't know who they are. And they don't attach to them. But then you have stuff like, I mean, I haven't watched it, but on the Disney Plus channel, there's a a Marvel's Legends, quote unquote, series. So far, there's two seven minute episodes. One's on Wanda and the other one is on Vision. And it's right now kind of operative. Okay, if you're watching WandaVision and you have no idea who Wanda and Vision are, go watch these seven minute shorts. On that's, those two characters. Well, who's going to do that? Huh? Even you and I, who this is kind of what we live and breathe, haven't watched it. Exactly. But I'm just saying that you could do something like that. The whole idea of, oh, people right. aren't going to know who this is or what that is. It's like, why can't we just use supplemental media? No, what I'm saying is if even even we haven't watched it, the general audience isn't going to watch that. Maybe, but like my, my only point of using that as an example, it's literally seven minutes. It's not like, oh, go watch this two-hour movie or go watch this 13-episode television series. Here's a seven-minute video. Yeah. Did this give you a primer on, here's the basics of what you need to know instead of having to, oh, we're going to have to do nine movies so that you fully understand where <laughs> all of these people are coming from. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you, but I'm just saying that it's it won't, wouldn't be effective for most people because they're not 
A, they're probably not going to have access. Not everybody's going to have access to go watch it. And B, most people aren't going to take the time or even realize it's there to go watch it. So I think what they would have to do is introduce them in a movie as kind of almost like a cameo. Like they have been doing when they're introducing characters. And then kind of give them their own movies. And it doesn't have to be like every character gets their own movie. But maybe one movie that introduces everybody in a standalone before the next one comes out. Or take a page from Star Wars. They've taken, they've created live action versions of animated characters. Now, it's not, again, things like Ahsoka Tano and Bo-Katan from the Clone Wars animated series and Rebels animated series that a lot of people haven't seen. They weren't as difficult to bring in, but instead of having to, oh, we have to go do a big live action version of all of that so people know, no, we don't even have to do anything if you don't want. It's it's for the people who know who the characters are and have either seen the previous material or who are interested in going to watch it that they can. I think audiences can be given credit that they're not going to be like, oh, I have no idea who that person is. How can I watch this? I have no idea. It's like not superhero stuff, just regular old movies. Characters are introduced all the time and made up all the time. If it has a backstory, maybe the geeks will like it. But I don't know if this whole idea of you can't introduce a superhero character without giving the audience a bunch of homework, but you can't give them homework. You have to actually give them movies and TV shows. Yeah, I don't understand why you can't just give them homework if they want to. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as long as they don't have to do that homework to follow what's going on. Right, I mean, it might be... And to care about it. So, so kind of like what they did with... Uh, with Winter Soldier and with Falcon, how they became key without their own standalone movies. And we, we understand who they are just based on their kind of starting almost as a cameo and then building up. Exactly. And and if they if you wanted to learn more about them, you could. By watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, that's what I mean. It's like, that's the type of thing. I think it gets more complicated when we talk about the X-Men because there are other things, both animation and live action. So, like, yeah. if they just, like, had Wolverine show up in a cameo in Spider-Man and it wasn't Hugh Jackman, would that confuse people? Would they be like, oh, so this is a completely different character from the all the Hugh Jackman movies we saw? Or is this the same character? And nerds would debate that online for years. They would. Plus also people who had never seen any of those movies would be like, oh, do I need to go watch those 10 plus movies? Or can I just say, oh, here's some character. He looks like an animal and has claws and he's angry. Okay, he's a character. As long or, as he has a nose. Yeah, <laughs> as long as he has a nose. Or do they really, is it going to be something where they can't understand anything like that? So I think, I don't know. I don't know how much in the in the superhero world, because it came from comic books, because it came from animation and, and, and stuff like that, the nerd reflex is, oh, you got to give the full backstory. You got to do all this. You got to explain this. You got to go into, you got to, it's like, you don't have to. They never did with Spider-Man in the MCU. Exactly. So, I mean, there's a way, because in that case, because they had just done the origin story to death every single time. You don't have to keep redoing it every time. Or like we said before in the DC space, where 
just because you get a new Batman actor, you don't have to go back and do the origin story all over again. Why did um, you say that name? <laughs> I didn't. I said Batman. I didn't I was, say Martha. <laughs> I was biting my tongue. I tried not to see what came out. <laughs> but my, my only argument there is, again, because there is a backstory. Like you said to this, with, with like, is it better to know about Wolverine's origin and his memory loss? A lot of that, because it hasn't really been done very much or very well in the live action movies, that's something that people didn't know about the character. Yeah. The fact that all of that stuff exists in comic books and other media, that doesn't mean that you can't introduce the character without doing all of the other stuff first. It's, I think it's just, I don't know, I guess my point is it's kind of like a unique problem in superhero stuff that's because true. it has all of that baggage that comes with it. That wonderful, wonderful baggage. Yes. Yeah, now I'm starting to, I'm just imagining ways of bringing him into Spider-Man. Like, in the next one, when Spider-Man's on the run, just have him, like, web swinging, and all of a sudden, something cuts his webbing, and he falls, and it was Wolverine who's hunting him for S.H.I.E.L.D. or something. Well, that also brings up sort of a corollary of, do we even need to see the first time they meet? Forget origin story, like, he just shows up, and he's just helping Peter. Like, we don't need to see that, oh, he gets his web cut. It's like, who the hell are you? I don't know who you are. What are you? What you're what? Huh? Just have them already just know each other. Why would that be bad? Yeah. I think it's interesting having having them figure each other out, though. I mean, it's kind of cliche at this point, but have their first encounter be they're fighting and basically Spider-Man just trounces Wolverine, webs him up like yells I'm like I'm not the bad guy and leaves and then later Spider-Man's in trouble and Wolverine saves him because he realizes that Spider-Man was actually the good guy because he didn't do anything to hurt him even though he attacked Spider-Man first or something like that there's a lot of ways to do it there's a lot of ways to do it I guess the thing is again we have the limited run times to movies and for every no we don't the Snyder (laughs) cuts four hours Aside from the Snyder Cut, my whole point is that in in most movies, it's like for every minute you use on something, it's a zero-sum game. You you can't just make everything a four-hour movie. So it's just like... I'd be fine with it. Again, there are... And and again, this is, I think, the other problem with superhero movies in general. There are the deep nerds that would be like, fine, make it a four-hour... Make every superhero movie a four-hour movie. I'll be in heaven. We don't care. But it's not going to appeal to the general audience. Yeah, you're right. And that's the problem. So it's like, and, and we, we, we've argued the same thing about Star Wars, too. It's like, who are the movies being made for, right? If Star Wars stuff is only made, new Star Wars stuff is only made for Star Wars fans, then it's not going to have as much of an appeal or reach as much uh, wide of an audience. If it's made for the general audience, then a lot of the super nerds get angry that you didn't do something right. Yeah, And the same thing kind of happens with the superhero stuff. It's true, because we're used to big, long, deep storylines that you can't do in an hour and a half. And then you run into a four-hour Justice League movie that gets condensed down to two and a half, three hours. And then people are like, oh, there's so much crammed in there that it was terrible. Well, it's because it was supposed to be a lot longer and to work out the story. MCU has done a wonderful job walking that tightrope and it's almost impossible for anybody else at this point. 
It really is. And it comes down to sort of an argument of like, I guess you have to pick what are you going to try to get right? Yeah. Like, are you, are you going to try to get the character, the way the character looks and the way that their powers or abilities are supposed to look right? Or are you going to focus on making sure that they have the story makes sense? They have enough of a backstory and they're connected to other characters or at least leave it open to that? Or are you going to go narrow again it, it makes it difficult to pick what you're going to try to focus on like did you like the way that Sabretooth was done in the live action movies uh mostly i mean they obviously didn't go into all of the background for Sabretooth that you mentioned earlier that's true and there were multiple versions the x-men the origins wolverine went into more of a background that's the one I was thinking of. I actually kind of forgot that he was in the first X-Men. Yeah, so he was a character in the first X-Men movies that was kind of almost shown as sort of like, oh, that's like their version of Wolverine that Wolverine will fight without really ever actually explaining anything about him. Or having them really fight. Or having them really fight. So like comic book nerds was like, well, that's not right. How come he didn't fight? And how come you don't even tell us anything about that character? Was that worse or bad? I don't know. Obviously, Sabretooth and X-Men Origins Wolverine was better because he actually was a character and had character development. Whereas in the original X-Men movies, he's just kind of like there as a character without any explanation. Yeah, they kind of treated him in the first X-Men movie. They kind of treated him like in the first episode of the X-Men animated series where he's just a mindless fighting machine. Right. When, and realistically, he was very methodical and serial killer-ish. Yes. So, yeah, he was definitely not accurate, even in terms of the character that I knew. Like, I remember when the very first X-Men movie came out, there were a few, like, in-jokes in that movie. Like, there's an in-joke about Wolverine wanting to wear yellow spandex when he yeah. puts on the X-Men outfit. It's like, and one of the reviewers who wrote the review uh, for that first movie, like, you might want to bring your, like, teenage cousin or nephew with you to explain all the things that you won't get like there's a bunch of in jokes and and characters that you won't understand but just bring like some teenager in your family who knows the comic books with you and they can explain to you why why the yellow spandex is a joke or who that character like Sabretooth is if you're interested yeah as opposed to just throwing them on the screen what would be better I don't know but you were right, too, where, like, that the Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie looked the part a lot more. Oh, yes, he did look. So, like I said, choose what you want to get right. He looked like Sabretooth. The characterization was wrong. But why can't we have both? True. But it's, guess what? It, it would be nice if you could have both. If you can't have both, what's better? Yeah. Is it better that he looks the part or that he actually plays the character because it was part of the movie that you have in, in the X-Men movies like the other team-ups is there's limited runtime again unless you want to make everything a four-hour movie you have a bunch of characters in there it's like you can't dedicate a bunch of time to everybody like even like Toad in the first X-Men movie you just kind of get them without really eh, anything even some of the other characters too like Storm and stuff like that it's like eh. There is kind of there. <laughs> yeah, and that's what made those movies terrible, though. And there there are some characters, like Toad is a character you can do that with, because there isn't really much to Toad. 
Yeah, exactly. He doesn't have a great deal of depth to him. So, yeah, that would be weird to spend any time on. Yeah, but Storm, on the other hand, you mentioned earlier that there wasn't a lot of, you know, in the animated series, most of the characters were pretty much just kind of personalities based on their powers. But Storm had a very dynamic personality there. And that was the issue with with Storm in that movie or those movies is she had no personality. Yeah, basically they were just sort of the, I would say earlier, was just the personification of a superpower. So they're not even like a character. They're yeah. just, this person is a stand-in for the powers of the weather. This person is a stand-in for teleportation. This person is a stand-in for telepathy. So like they're not even a character. They're just a power. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because in the comics and the animation, they are more than that. But when you have these things, it's like, how many characters do you put in? Like the joke in the Deadpool movie is like, how come when I come to the X-Mansion, there's nobody here? <laughs> and that's can't because they, they couldn't afford to put them in the movie. But at the same time, it's like, how many do you put in the movie? Like in Deadpool 2, where they had the joke scene where they open up the door to the professor's office and they're like, all just crammed in. <laughs> that was one of the best jokes in any movie ever. That was. But that's always the question. It was like, who do you put in? So it's like, if it's an X-Men movie, so well, you have to have Cyclops and you have to have Jean Grey and you have to have Professor X and you have to have someone's like, you get, you have a such a long list of have to haves. Then you're like, okay, we have a whole bunch of people in the movie. <laughs> yeah. What's the story of the movie going to be? Who's going to get character development and dedicated to them or not? Like some people didn't like a lot, a, a lot more time was spent on Rogue in the first movie because she was tied into the plot of the movie. Yeah. Not because she was such an important character, but it was because of the story that they decided to tell. Yeah. And then you also run into, like you are saying, do you get a better story with the character or do you get them to look the way they want them to look? I mean, I, I believe it was Tyler Maine that played Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie. And... It turns out acting is hard. <laughs> so you can find people that look the part, but they can't always act the part. And I think that was partially why Hugh Jackman got the role was he could act the part and mostly look the part. And that's as close as you're going to get because Tom Hardy wasn't around then. Right. Man, I wish he was, though. He'd have been a perfect <laughs> Wolverine. It's still possible. And I guess similar to like what we've asked about Batman movies, if at some point Tom Hardy takes over as Wolverine, do we need a reset? Do we have to start at the beginning again? Oh, that's that question is more for do we have to reset for the MCU? Because I don't think we need to reset for the character because of the new actor. I think we're starting to get more used to that. But do we have to reset for the MCU? That's the question. A future X-Men project that's just in its own universe and has still not yet crossed over with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you mean? Well, if we're doing just a standalone not tying into the MCU, I think you have to touch on a little bit of it. But really, I mean, in the first X-Men movie, they didn't really give any background or history on Wolverine. They didn't give anything. I mean, most of it was just assumed. That's why I was joking earlier that yeah. you have to bring a, a teenage nerd with you to understand that there's a backstory that you just are not getting. Right. Because you're just being thrown into the story. 
I mean, in X, I believe it was X2 was basically all his story, but even that didn't really say too much. So, yeah, I don't think you really need to. I think I think you could just dive in and start telling the story and let people figure it out. As, as long as the story is there, I don't think you need to dive deep into the background. I think if you're going to dive deep in the background, it's going to have to be its own movie after the character's been established already. Do you want standalone movies or do you just want team-up movies? I actually think the first part of the series of the Wolverine origin books would be make an interesting movie. And it would be a cheap, easy movie to make because it really wouldn't take a whole lot. There's not a lot of powers there. It starts off like the first half of the movie or first third of the movie is going to be on a farm in Canada. The second half to two thirds into the ending is going to be a small mining camp in the wilderness. Not much for powers, just some some fight scenes here and there. I think it would be interesting, cheap. They should do that. That would be an interesting story. He's also one of the... Going back again to crossing the streams between the X-Men and the Avengers, I don't know, there's not a lot of other characters in the X-Men that you really need much of a backstory on. Like, again, I'm not trying to pick on them. It's like, you don't really need a bunch of Scott Summers as Cyclops. You don't really need a huge backstory for Professor X. You don't need a huge backstory for a lot of the characters. Maybe going back again, the fact that or that Wolverine has as part of his personality and his character, and because of how old the character is, has the potential for that. But you don't need to have dedicated origin movies for everybody. Right. It could be something as simple as, like I said, maybe in the in a Spider-Man movie, Wolverine shows up and they're fighting, and and something happens. The bad guy starts messing with Wolverine. He's like, "Trust me, I'm not a guy you want to mess with." And then in the final scene when Spider-Man's about to get his butt handed to him, all of a sudden Wolverine shows back up. He's like, I warned you. And the X-Men come in behind him. That's what I was just about to ask. It's like, yeah, at the closing part of that uh, movie, it's like like Cyclops and like Jean Grey and Storm step out of the shadows behind Wolverine. It's like, what was all that about? Then boom, the X-Men are in the universe. (laughs) Right, exactly. Exactly. I think it should be, I mean... Cyclops is a given. I think Beast needs to be there because I think Beast would fill a role in the Avengers pretty well, too, because Beast was actually in the Avengers as well uh, in the books, uh, along with Wolverine. He's kind of like Professor Hulk. (laughs) He is. I think uh, Iceman needs to be there. And Gambit. Gambit needs to be done live action well. Yeah, he's one of my favorite animated series characters, especially him and Rogue together were really played off of each other really well. But then again, there's another character who's like, you don't need a big backstory type thing for him. He's another one where the mystery is part of the fun. Yeah. But I mean, not every character also needs it. But yeah, the mystery is part of the fun with him as well. So yeah, so that's um, that would be interesting to see too. But that's what I mean. It's like we can have a bunch of people in. I mean, kind of, I mean, it's not the way it was done. But like in Deadpool movies, the expansion is there. The X-Men exist. They just are conveniently never there when Deadpool goes by. You can just establish that the X-Men are in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe without having to drag a bunch of characters across the screen for brief cameos. Just establish that it exists and it's there. And at some point in the future, they could show up. Oh, man, I think that's a good way to end this. In the hope 
of awesome crossover movies because that's all I'm thinking about now. <laughs> I'm basically writing the movie in my head right now. <laughs> so Wolverine will be our crossover that will combine the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the X-Men Universe. Yep. And in the next movie, it is Spider-Man is fighting Iron Patriot. And that's how they get him to stand down. That's how you introduce Iron Patriot into the next series or part of the movies, which is going to be the Secret Invasion. Ah, I'm genius. I should be a writer. (laughs) You are the best at what you do. And what you do best is actually kind of nice. Aw, that was sweet. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy and Hater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.